Welcome to the Divorce Tribe Podcast. My name is Luke Mydell, and I created this weekly podcast to provide support and healing as you navigate the daily trials that accompany divorce. I have been where you are, I have walked that lonely road, and I'm hoping to share what I have learned and what I am still learning through others. We are part of the same tribe, the Divorce Tribe. Welcome to episode 22, Divorce Portrayal, or is it Betrayal, in pop culture. Before I start, oh, yep, it's one of those nights. I'm opening up a Diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> uh, it was a fine day, you know, like many days, just a little stressful. But sometimes you need those little, I don't know, vices, I guess, to kind of help you get through it. Anyway, this week we will be discussing how divorce is portrayed in pop culture, movies, televisions, books. My goal this episode is to talk about how TVs and movies and how they depict that have altered our view of divorce and what we can learn from those depictions while also avoiding perceptions that are wildly inaccurate. In all reality, as I researched this week's episode, I was able to find truths in even the most asinine movies that involve divorce or co-parenting. So as I go through these different movies, I'll be talking about what they got right and what I didn't find that accurate, at least in my situation. That being said, divorce is so varied that there are likely people out there who have experienced some of the things that I found unrealistic about divorce, like the true power of love conquers all, or that if you're behind on your child support, you should try stealing from a wealthy old man who has a secret suit that can shrink you down to the size of an ant. But before we delve into that, it's time for story time, where I discuss the current book I'm reading. Now, I purchased this book long before I was divorced, and I believe I read from it for my Christmas episode. But this book sat on my shelf most of the entire marriage. Luckily, it survived the great basement flood of 2013 when I had yet to unpack my boxes of books after moving to a new home. The water heater dropped its bottom and all the water with it, and many wonderful books lost their lives that week. I will still scour my bookshelves for a book I know I have, but that must have been a casualty of that flood. So even though I hadn't read the book up until recently, I had watched the movie, and the big driver of that movie was the author's divorce and healing in Italy. The movie and the book are very different in that aspect, but I didn't figure that out until I finally decided to sit down and read the book. In reality, it's a love story written about Italy and the charms and difficulties that the author and her boyfriend had after they put a big chunk of their money into purchasing a rundown home in Italy and then renovating it. And while the movie has a large focus on her divorce and how she heals from that trauma, the book doesn't mention it much. Here's what it does say, though. The author had just seen a beautiful house that was beyond their price range, Brahma Sole. And not to give it away, but this is the house that they end up purchasing. She then goes on to state, quote, 
During the next months, I mentioned Brahma Sole now and then. I stuck a photo on my mirror and often wandered the grounds or rooms in my mind. The house is a metaphor for the self, of course, but it is also totally real, and a foreign house exaggerates all the associations houses carry. Because I had ended a long marriage that was not supposed to end and was establishing a new relationship, this house quest felt tied to whatever new identity I would manage to forge. When the flying fur from the divorce settled, I had found myself with a grown daughter, a full-time university job after years of part-time teaching, a modest securities portfolio, and an entire future to invent. Although divorce was harder than a death, Still, I felt oddly returned to myself after many years in a close family. I had the urge to examine my life in another culture and move beyond what I knew. I wanted something of a physical dimension that would occupy the mental volume the years of my former life had. End quote. Now, despite the short mention of divorce in her book, this section carries a lot of meaning behind it, a lot of depth. She mentions the house as a metaphor for self, which is something they carry over nicely into the movie. And look at how she describes her divorce. She had ended a long marriage that was not supposed to end. She was forging a new identity. The divorce was obviously a fight, quote, when the flying fur from the divorce had settled. I mean, obviously you take that description and that metaphor of like, you know, cats fighting each other and... Yeah, it depicts pretty well how a divorce goes. And then she says that even though divorce was harder than a death, she still felt oddly returned to herself. These are all feelings I had during my divorce. Few people go into marriage thinking that it's supposed to end in divorce. I certainly didn't. I viewed marriage as something that could withstand anything that God or men threw at it. But it became a struggle. It became harder than a death. And yet, as I've distanced myself from it, as I've experienced healing, I've started to feel more closely aligned with myself. Just like she said, she felt oddly returned to herself. I'm feeling the same way. Divorce forces that self-reflection on you. It forces you to make those tough decisions about religion and faith and money and children and careers and even how dirty you're willing to let the house be in exchange for other good things. We've also already talked about creating a new identity in divorce, constructing a new civilization of self. I've been creating my new identity, an identity I'm still crafting, and I will still be crafting for the rest of my life. But it's one that I'm more proud of each day. That doesn't mean that there aren't hard times still. About two years after my divorce, I was feeling good. I was feeling healthy. I had gradually been healing from both my divorce and what led up to my divorce. And I had watched a few movies on divorce or its aftermath at that time. Um, Eat, Pray, Love and Under the Tuscan Sun. And they both had the same formula. Divorce followed by a life-changing solo trip to foreign countries. Basically, life-changing travel narratives like wild with Reese Witherspoon, but not as intense. They were also focused on the woman's point of view. In Under the Tuscan Sun, the main character discovers that her husband is cheating. So after the divorce, she goes on a tour of Italy and ends up staying in the country after purchasing a run-down Italian villa on a whim. 
and Eat, Pray, Love, the main character, divorces her husband because she feels unfulfilled, because she doesn't see them as being right for each other. She then starts dating a young actor and ends up breaking up with him as well. In her trip, she visits Italy, the eat portion, India, the pray portion, and Indonesia, the love portion. So I decided to watch Crazy Stupid Love because I had seen a funny clip from it. Now, Crazy Stupid Love focuses on a few main characters, like the daughter and her relationship with the main Lothario, who is teaching the main male lead, Cal Weaver, played by Steve Carell, how to meet women after his divorce. But the portion of the movie that impacted me was the focus on the emotional impact that the divorce has on Cal. In the beginning of the movie, Cal's wife asked for a divorce because she started an affair with a co-worker. As they are driving home, Cal is just looking out the window while his wife keeps talking to him, and he keeps asking her to stop talking. Please stop talking, he keeps saying, until he finally just opens the car door as it drives down the road, and he jumps out. Now, you might think this is completely unrealistic, and to a point, maybe it is, but I can tell you that during some of those initial conversations I had with my ex before we got divorced, there was nothing more that I wanted to do than just run away from the disbelief of it all. I was in denial. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And while I wasn't in a moving car, I was able to just walk away for an entire night. I couldn't deal with the emotional turmoil that I was feeling. So when Cal opens the door of the car and leaps out, it wasn't surprising. Divorce, betrayal, everything that goes along with those emotions are sudden and abrupt, and it's normal to feel like there's no way to get away from them without literally leaving the conversation, whether it's jumping from a moving car or leaving the house at 1 a.m. on a summer night. And for that reason, and its depiction of the sadness that Cal feels, it triggered some emotions in me that I hadn't felt for a while. It made me realize how fragile our mental state can be after divorce. It was after watching this movie and getting out of the first relationship that I considered serious after my divorce that I decided I was done dating for a while until I could work on healing better from my marriage. Maybe not healing better from my marriage, healing better from my divorce. I felt like I had a pretty good marriage. I felt like Cal. I had married my sweetheart and the news that she no longer wanted to be married to me was devastating. Even with all that went along with it. I obviously had seen the negativity it had on me, but my attitude towards marriage was that it was eternal. Yes, there are ups and downs, but you just throw up your arms and scream your way through them, just like a roller coaster. After Cal and his wife are divorced, he continues to love her even as he tries reinventing himself in an effort to heal from his divorce. He doesn't do a great job. He still goes over to their house at night, takes care of their lawn in secret, Still talks to her on the phone while he's watching her through the window one night. Eh, a little creepy. Things that in real life may result in a no-contact order from a court. Ultimately, the movie has a happy, idealized ending. Yes, they go through the struggles, but because he loves his wife, he can declare it in his son's high school graduation. His wife can realize that he has always loved her and she has made a horrible mistake. They can get back together. In reality, 99 times out of uh, hundred, the idealized version doesn't work out. That doesn't mean you shouldn't give it your best shot for the idealized version. Just make sure you keep a firm reality in your mind as well. In the words of Indiana Jones, 
Forget any ideas you've got about lost cities, exotic travel, and digging up the world. We do not follow maps to buried treasure, and X never, ever marks the spot. That's not to say that dressing up like a British nanny and fooling your ex into hiring you so you can spend more time with your kids isn't an excellent, realistic idea. I actually remember the first time I watched Mrs. Doubtfire. It wasn't in theaters. It was on a scouting campout where we were doing some youth leadership training. About a hundred scouts crammed in this room and ate crackers, cheese, whatever snacks were passed around in big communal bowls, you know. A COVID nightmare nowadays, but back then it did not matter. We watched Robin Williams, a recently divorced father with a downward turn in his voice acting career, in his bungling attempts to learn how to be a responsible father, dressed as a British nanny. All I remembered was that it was funny. I glossed over the entire portion where his kids are taken from him, and what forces him to resort to such drastic measures. Yes, it's a comedy. Yes, it's ridiculous. But what it does get right is that the divorce is caused by dysfunction in their relationship. In this case, there was no infidelity. There was just a lot of fighting. Robin Williams being irresponsible, holding a massive party after the mother, played by Sally Fields, had already stated that they couldn't have one because of her son's bad grades. She won't be home for another four hours. So there's already a dysfunctional marriage. They're not working together as a team. Instead, Robin Williams is the Disneyland parent and Sally Fields is the responsible adult in the same household. Despite the dysfunction, Robin Williams is honestly depicted as a father who loves his wife and loves his children, and he can't believe what he hears when she says she wants a divorce. This is common. This is common in divorce. There is often one member of the couple who is shocked when the other person actually asks for a divorce. In this case, Robin Williams is in denial. Quote, my marriage is not ending, it's just on hiatus, he says shortly after they appear in court. And the mother is awarded sole custody with the father receiving only visitation rights on Saturday. This is the interesting part about this divorce. The couple has a large house in San Francisco. The wife works a high-paying job. She's the breadwinner. Robin Williams doesn't have a job. He spends most of his time with the kids. But as a result of the divorce, the economic disparity between the two households is accentuated. Now let me clarify about this next point because divorce is so varied that what is reality for some is complete fiction for other divorces. But the reality is that in many divorces, the woman experiences a greater decline in economic stability than the man. In Mrs. Doubtfire, the gender roles are reversed. The man experiences significant economic decline. He lives in a crappy apartment, has a crappy job, and the wife still lives in the large San Francisco home and decides to hire a nanny to take care of her kids rather than letting Robin Williams take care of them instead. So, my take on Mrs. Doubtfire, although the premise of dressing up as a British nanny to spend more time with his children is absurd, take away that, and it's a pretty accurate portrayal of the emotions and struggles of parenting post-divorce. When I started prepping this episode, I started out categorizing movies and TV shows based on whether they were only for complete entertainment, whether they were both entertaining and serious, and whether they were completely serious. But as I went through and rewatched some of the movies, I found that anything with a large focus on the divorce portion was not in complete entertainment category. 
the only movies that made that cut were the ones where the divorce had happened and it was a plot device to create humor or conflict or to move the movie along. Even in those instances, they still capture elements of truth. For example, look at the movie Liar Liar or The Santa Claus, Ant-Man. Each of these movies are comedies. Yes, especially Ant-Man. And in each of these stories, the father and mother are divorced. What drives each movie forward is largely the father-son or father-daughter relationship. In Liar Liar, the dad, played by Jim Carrey, is fun, but he's also a liar. He makes promises to his son that he doesn't keep because he's too focused on his career as a lawyer. This drives the action and ultimately results in him seeing how crappy of a dad he had been and promising to spend more time with the son. In the Santa Claus, the main character is divorced and his son becomes enamored with him after he becomes Santa Claus. What drives a large portion of this story is his ex-wife and her new husband trying to keep the son away from him. And then finally in Ant-Man, what drives the narrative is the father wanting to see his daughter, which the mother won't allow until he's paying child support. So what is realistic is each dad's desire, even if it's an eventual desire in Liar Liar, to be a part of his kid's life. Yes, there are always exceptions. There are a lot of exceptions. There are deadbeat dads and moms and abusive parents. Take away the extremes and you usually have two parents who love their children deeply. Now I guess one other movie about divorce that is meant to be completely entertaining is The Parent Trap. Talk about sadistic, crappy parents. Hey, I'll take this twin, you take the other, they'll never know each one exists. Uh, this sounds like a great idea, yeah, I love it, yeah. Not really a great representation of the realities of divorce. Can you imagine giving up one kid? I'll, I'll take this kid, and I won't ever see the other one. Yeah, great idea. Oh, I cannot believe that that's a movie idea. But uh, it is, and the first one is an interesting movie. Anyway, so whew, let's move on to travel narratives. We already talked about travel narratives at the beginning, Eat, Pray, Love, Under the Tuscan Sun, and a little bit about Wild. These had similar patterns, but I want to focus on one of the metaphors from Under the Tuscan Sun a bit. When the main character first enters this rundown villa, she tries a water spigot that is in the main courtyard, and it puts out nothing but dust. This spigot and the villa becomes a metaphor for her healing. As she hires help, as her divorce tribe grows, neighbors, the villa workers, the real estate, real estate agent who helped her buy the house, and then there's another American living in town. As these people gather around, she starts healing. When she tries the spigot again, a few drops come out, then more as time goes on. When she is finally healed enough, a close friend comes to visit, distraught after her partner leaves her because she didn't want the child they were having. Even though the main character is not entirely healed, she is able to be there for her friend, to help her heal from her relationship ending, to be part of her divorce tribe. Let me interject here. When you are first going through divorce, you feel helpless, alone. You need to rely on others to help heal and make decisions. But as you grow and heal, and hopefully gain some wisdom and perspective, I hope you'll go out of your way to share that with others because new people are hurting each day. People are finding out today, this very second, that their husband or wife wants to leave them or are having an affair. 
they are experiencing that same devastation that you felt. Or maybe you're listening to this and you're currently going through that. Find support. Find your divorce tribe. And if you are able to, be a support for someone else. Divorce is often a secret, dirty word that people whisper about behind closed doors. Did you hear about so-and-so? No, what happened? Oh, they're getting a divorce. Are you serious? I wonder what happened. Have you talked to XYZ about it? Uh, You know, a week-long course on divorce and statistics and causes behind it and support systems should really be a requisite before getting a marriage license. If anything, it would bring the possibility and discussion into the open. I was talking to one of my younger brothers the other week, and they have had a rash of divorces in their neighborhood. They all seem to happen around the same time, with couples who are seemingly happily married leaving sadness and devastation in their wake. And so on that note, let's move on to movies that portray that sadness and that devastation perfectly. A movie is a tough medium to portray all the nuances of divorce, but there are a few that do a great job. Let me forewarn you, these can be tough watches. It's not like watching Robin Williams in his Mrs. Doubtfire costume, where you have a lot of comedy as a counterpoint to the sorrow of divorce. These are movies that are triggering because of how real they can feel. A couple of these are Kramer vs. Kramer and The Squid and the Well. My suggestion is not to watch The Squid and the Well. It's focused on the impact divorce has on the kids, And then the characters are not very likable. Even the kids aren't very likable. Largely because they are miniature versions of the parents who are themselves unlikable. The father is an egotistical prick who tells his son about his wife's old affair just to foment anger and get him on his side. This is something that I hear about all the time in my divorce groups. Either the husband or the wife burdening the kids with information to try to get them on their side telling the kids that daddy doesn't love them anymore and crap like that. Now, the mom obviously has her own demons as evidenced by her affair, but she is more likable than the husband, and that's not saying much. Maybe instead I should say less unlikable. Both children struggle with the divorce. The dad moves into a new, crappier place. The mom keeps the home. They don't do much to make the kids feel at home or transition in their divorce. The dad buys a few posters to put on the peeling walls and barren rooms, The oldest son is dating a girl and treating her horribly, mirroring how his dad treated his mom. And the younger son acts out by cursing, drinking, and doing other things that are just disturbing in this movie. I told you that this one's hard to stomach. It's hard to stomach partly because of how well it portrays the realities of divorce. The wife cheats. The husband's an egotistical jerk, a narcissist. Both kids struggle. In this portrayal, there isn't a perfect delineation between right and wrong. The same is true in Kramer vs. Kramer. The wife left because her husband wouldn't let her get a job outside the house. He was controlling, didn't have a relationship with her and their child. She abandoned them to escape. At this point, the dad steps up and becomes the dad he should have been. The conflict comes into play when the ex-wife comes back into the picture and wants custody of her son. And so a huge court battle ensues as she tries to take him from the father who stepped up when she left. You know, I recently watched another travel narrative, although it wasn't as extreme as the ones I previously mentioned. What it does represent is a small road trip through California wine country for two friends. And it's from the male perspective of a divorce. 
I enjoyed this one, partly because of the great actors, Paul Giamatti as the divorced guy living in a small, dirty apartment, and Thomas Hayden Church as the engaged friend. You have two opposites, the jaded divorcee and the optimistic soon-to-be-married guy. If you remember from a previous episode, we talked about The Last Five Years, which tells parallel stories. One from the perspective of Jamie, whose story is told in chronological order from when he first meets his wife to when he's cheating on her and getting divorced. And then from Kathy's perspective in reverse chronological order, from when they're getting divorced to when they first meet. You get to see the end and beginning of the relationship at the same time. Sideways does the same thing, only it does it by having the two friends be in completely different phases of their relationship lives. Now, we barely scratch the surface of Hollywood's depiction of divorce. We still have Grace and Frankie, two older women whose husbands come out, come out of the closet and divorce them to get married. We have Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, which deals with divorce from the super wealthy perspective. First Wives Club, No Explanation Needed, Marvelous Mrs. Mizell, Blue Valentine, The New Adventures of Old Christine. There are so many. So let me just wrap up today's episode. As the lead character in Under the Tuscan Sun heals, helps others, and rebuilds this Tuscan villa, this water spigot that represents her healing herself, that represents the villa, this villa that represents herself, eventually starts gushing out water. It starts working again. And that's really a good metaphor for going through the divorce process, going through the healing process. It takes time. You know, sometimes things don't turn out the way you want them to. You know that more than anybody going through divorce. But it is possible to get through it, to get through it with help from others. So um, let me leave you with a bit of advice for today's episode. When you get divorced, and there are, there are certain triggers that can bring back pain and sorrow. Some of those triggers are in movies. For me, it was the drama, comedy, crazy, stupid love. It was a tough watch for me just because of those opening scenes and the main character's desire to reconcile with his ex-wife. So if you're going to watch a movie on divorce, try to watch it with some good friends. Try to watch it when you are healed and try to watch movies that will be empowering. Under the Tuscan Sun is empowering. It makes me want to travel and take risks and become a better person. Other movies probably won't be empowering. The Squid and the Whale, Blue Valentine, Marriage Story. And then other movies don't depict reality. The Parent Trap, Crazy Stupid Love, Mrs. Doubtfire, First Wives Club. They offer a shiny, optimistic view of things. In The Parent Trap, the girls get their parents back together. In Crazy Stupid Love, True Love wins, and they get back together. In First Wives Club, they all get revenge on their exes. Massive revenge. And the movie ends happily. They open a woman's center. Watch these for what they are, entertainment with hints of truth, but with the majority in idealized view. Now, for next episode, I'm either going to be talking about one of the heavy hitters, religion and divorce, or I will be doing the sequel to 50 First Dates, 100 First Dates, where I talk a little bit about when you meet people who you actually want to date exclusively, um, and the continual struggles that that brings up. I still haven't decided which one I'm going with, 
But I'll let you be surprised, just like I am right now. Thank you for joining me today. If you found this podcast helpful, please like and subscribe, leave a review, and share it with others who could use support and healing. Visit thedivorcetribe.com for more resources to help you through your divorce, and follow me at The Divorce Tribe on Instagram to be notified when new episodes and content are released. Remember, you are not alone. We are part of the same tribe, The Divorce Tribe. Until next time.